Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Wednesday, August 18th edition of the Basement Academy. Uh, Before we get going, just uh, extend the invitation again. If you wish to participate in our Wednesday afternoon discussion group, we affectionately call it the Bitter Enders. If you watch these things to the bitter end, (laughs) you get an invitation. That's where it started. Um, But Wednesdays at 3, we have a Zoom conversation, a discussion, roughly goes about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes, usually about a dozen, 15 people. And if you send me an email, dmeeks at greenwichprez.org, I will send you the Zoom link and um, we will have uh, a robust discussion. Typically, we discuss the previous week's studies. I have copies of the whiteboard that I have in front of me here. Many people take notes through the course of the week, and then we just kind of toss it out, and we just we just go after it. It's, it's a delightful, engaging time. We would love to have you join us. Uh, let me start our time with Psalm uh, 48. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. It is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. Like the utmost heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labor. You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish, shattered by an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen. In the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. It's a psalm that that lifts up, it, it pictures uh, the temple in Jerusalem, the, the fortress, the walls of Jerusalem, the, perhaps the, the um, king's palace, these beautiful structures, Jerusalem uh, built up a little bit uh, on the mountain. And, and it pictures a time when some other kings came and joined together, but they saw Jerusalem and they fled. That wasn't the only experience that uh, God's people Israel had. Obviously, as we read yesterday in Psalm 137, they did suffer at the hands of Babylon. So that king came and destroyed. Um, Was God unfaithful? Was God um, not true to his promises to protect his people in the temple? No, it's that the people had turned to idolatry and they had brought into the temple. And so there's a whole, whole story there. But I want, in, in preparing for today and our continued discussion on critical race theory, a pastoral reflection on critical race theory, what, what struck me was the kings joined forces. 
They gathered together. They advanced together. There is a long, long history of hatred and animosity for the Jewish people. This deep division that we, we studied recently in Ephesians between Jew and Gentile. So let us not, as Christians, let us not be fooled into thinking that racial concerns or ethnic division or division between peoples is a new thing that, that really is only an American phenomenon. This is a universal human phenomenon. And our scriptures uh, guide us well in understanding these realities, that, that sin and tribalism and, and hostility between peoples is a universal human experience. And so there are some suggestions when, when trying to broaden this out in some of my conversation with a Presbytery colleague, it was kind of like, nah, just stay right here into the black-white American thing. And I just don't think that's helpful. So getting ahead of myself, that's part of my pastoral reflection this morning. Okay, so continuing our thinking, um, the, the idea behind critical race theory, again, nobody's teaching the Frankfurt School to our children or to our uh, corporate employees and et cetera in our trainings. What is being taught is that there's a, a basic binary. You're either an oppressor or you're oppressed. And the key is, do you have access to power, the, the cultural power? Uh, so the legal systems, the finance systems, the educational systems, and so on, it is critical race theory teaches, it is alleged that those have been built and constructed in such a manner so as to protect and preserve the power of white people over and against people of color or other races. Now, Underneath this idea is what we call the social construction of reality. This idea that race and ethnicity are human inventions or that gender and uh, sex are human inventions. So again, that this we can maybe see it clearly in the recent discussions around biology and is a child a boy or a girl based on their genitalia at birth. And so the language now that, again, reflects this, this uh, critical theorist understanding of social construction of reality will say the doctor assigned you the gender or sex of male or female at birth. You were assigned that at birth. You didn't have a choice, but you get a choice now as you get older. And so... Uh, through the transgender phenomenon that is unfolding and exploding in our society. It's underscoring this common understanding in academia and then beyond that there is a social construction of reality. Nothing is given. So biological realities are transcended by the social construction of gender and, in this case, for our discussion, race. And the idea is that somewhere back in the colonial period, the 15, 1600s, and then enhanced within the Enlightenment period of the 17 and 1800s, the uh, European, white European colonialists and um, those who are enamored of science and reason and the like, the Enlightenment um, realities, began to categorize um, all of the world, but then categorized people into various racial categories. And so race is understood. And I'm not going to quarrel historically with that because 
it is helpful to categorize and, and develop a taxonomy, okay? And so our, our taxonomy, kingdom, phylum, genus, species, etc. you know, you've got this taxonomy, you've got a periodic table, we, we have ways of ordering and organizing our world, and, and one such m- manner of doing that is with regard to various skin colors and geography and tribes and the like, and I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, but it is an historical thing. It's an historical reality that I think is, is, um, cannot be questioned. What perhaps can be questioned and I might raise is, was that intentional and was it for the purposes of control? Okay, so within the critical race theory uh, framework, race is a social construction (laughs) intended to control. It was invented by white people for the purposes of controlling. You categorized all, you know, the, the notion is that white people categorized all of these various races and then used that to subjugate and to control. Again, I, I, I'm not going to fight that there may be some of that, but I would also be open to the notion that some of it was just we're trying to understand our world and try to organize and order our world. Uh, what I can say is that uh, I have observed, and I expect you have as well, with respect to, let's say, what formerly was known as the African-American community, I think African-American is no longer quite the term to be used. Uh, Black is to be used, and I believe is to be um, capitalized when in writing. The black community speaking of a distinct group of people, whether their descent was from Africa, can trace their genealogy to Africa or not, is perhaps why African-American has been transcended. But formerly, those who are now known as black or African-American formerly were known by other terms that are not considered to be appropriate, colored or Negro. There are obviously racial slurs that, that, that spin off of those. And so I, I use those words in the context of educational purposes here. But if, I mean, there are professors and teachers who get canceled for saying the very words I just said, um, which is for another day's reflection about the, the politically charged um, moment we are in. My understanding is the current term of preference is BIPOC, B-I-P-O-C, Black Indigenous, Indigenous referring to Native Americans, and then people of color that would gather in others who have a, a, a different colored skin, which might grab the Hispanic, Asian uh, communities. And it's my understanding is that it's becoming inappropriate to even speak of Hispanic because Hispanic would be like, you know, there's white people talking about Cubans and Venezuelans and Chileans and those from Mexico and Guatemala and Salvador as if they were one people because they're not. And so this is, I, I'm sure not, I'm not sure what to do with all this because if categorizing is not a good thing, then let's just speak of people and maybe what, where are you from? But if you ask 
people where they're from, that is considered to be inappropriate. So let's just refer to people as Americans and let's drop all the hyphens. And I would probably lean in that direction. That would be my preference. Let's just be people. <laughs> There's no white America, black America, etc. There's just Americans. But that is not understood to be appropriate either. <laughs> and so there, at the same time, the categorizing is, is spoken of as being a, a bad thing that's intended to control. If you move in the non-categorizing direction, that also seems to be a bad thing. And so uh, I've been puzzled. I'll just offer it that way. I'm puzzled, And I'm not trying to be snarky. I'm, I'm trying to genuinely just... I'm wrestling, I'm trying to understand, and in the process of, of trying to understand, I find myself confused. The question comes down to then racism, and how do we understand racism? Is it something that is individual, or is it something that is systemic? Is it something that came from this categorizing, or is it something um, that preceded the categorizing? So is it the child or the father of this racial categorizing. So does racism, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing, right? Which comes first, racism or the categorizing and defining of race? So it's like the chicken and egg, you can kind of get caught up in this. I believe, so uh, there's a couple folks whose books, uh, people are reading Robin DiAngelo, White Fragility. That I'm sorry, let's hold this one up. Robin DiAngelo, White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. That is on many reading lists right now and being encouraged. And then How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. Okay. And it's Kendi who raises this thing. Is, is racism the father of of race or the child of race. That is, do, do you develop all these racial categories and then now that you've got these racial categories, you can though then go oppress them or was the oppression already in place and you created the racial categories um, as an expression of your racism? And so, so once the categories were formed, then white people said, hey, we're different than everybody else. Let's go harm them. Or was it, hey, we're already on top, on the, on the top of the heap. Now let's create these categories. And so um, is racism the father or child of race? That, that's probably a chicken and egg question itself. The idea is that the critical race theory... I think what is being taught within schools and in corporate spaces, that racism is less about individual acts of discrimination or speech or violence or harm, and it's more about a system, a structure of exclusion and denial of access to benefits or to power. So again, that the notion that 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 the um, kind of the bottom line up front that I shared the other day is that the critical race theory teaches that all the systems and structures of American society have been designed and developed to protect and preserve the power of white people. 
So the idea is that racism is not as I was taught growing up within my own family, my parents, that we're, I'm going to respect all people. And racism is when you say something or act in a manner or tell a joke or some other thing to bring harm to an individual. It's an action that I engage in that I am morally culpable for. Um, that has faded away so that racism is understood to be a systemic reality that has been perpetuated uh, by, that has been designed, developed, perpetuated, propagated by white people for the purpose of subjugating uh, people of color, BIPOC. And so within this understanding, critical race theory teaches that only whites because of their access and relationship to power, because only whites have the power in society, because by definition, they've structured society or we have structured society to, um, to benefit ourselves. Only whites, because of their relationship to power, can be racist. Which says then that someone of color who acts against a white person or speaks against a white person in some way, privately or publicly, cannot be a racist. So that individual action of harm intentionally because of the light colored skin of that person, that is not a racist act in the critical race theory. It might be an act of violence, it might be a crime, but it is not It is not racialized. It is not racist because only whites can be racist because only whites have power and oppression is all about access to power. And so racism flows out of this, this binary of the oppressed oppressor binary. But the, the, the other side of the critical race theory coin, only whites can be racist because of their relationship to power. And so it follows that all whites are racist because of their privilege. So racism is not an individual action. So I, as a white person, may not have engaged in an individual act of harm or violence or speech against uh, a person of color. But that doesn't matter because as a white person, my group identity is, is all that matters, not my individual identity. That's why that thing we talked about yesterday is so important, that, that the group identity is what is most important. And white people, by definition, within this framework, again, we're not allowed to test that and, and prove that in a laboratory. Again, we're going to talk about that tomorrow. How do we know what we know uh, within this theory? And so by definition, racism is systemic. It's not individual. Therefore, only whites because of their power and all whites are racist. And that is what is coming to our schools. That is what is being taught in the context of our training spaces within corporate America and, and, and beyond. And that's why you have some folks, both there, many people are saying, I, though I've never, engaged intentionally in racist acts, I denounce my racism as a white supremacist, etc. You know, if you buy the, the, the package, if you buy the system, if you buy the framework, then it flows. Okay. And, and so that's part of what we're seeing. A number of white people <clears throat> um, claim uh, or own their white supremacy, their white privilege, etc., though they have not 
formerly engaged in such actions, but they, they buy the systemic reality. Um, <clears throat> and so Ibram X. Kendi in his, um, in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, he actually went to what formerly was known as Stonewall Jackson High School right down the road in Manassas. And he participated in the um, MLK I Have a Dream speech contest, and he won. And he opens with the story of, of winning that and how proud he was of, of kind of framing Dr. King's uh, vision and speaking to that in a way that, that was very moving and compelling and, and won him great plaudits. And he, the, the, as the book goes on, he, he basically says what a racist he was in doing that, that the Martin Luther King Jr. vision of a colorblind society where people are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, that, that itself was part of the, the wrong-headed racist understanding that Dr. King was playing the game along with the white people, that he was, instead of standing against white America, he was playing the game that the old, you're trying to be a, a, a polite uh, person and, and work within the system, whereas Kinde would say that no, it, it is overcoming the system. So, so in this book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, Kendi writes, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. And so in some strange, I, I haven't quite followed the logic. <clears throat> I, I've got, I'm, I'm trying to work on this. I'm not trying to be snarky. I'm, I'm working on this, that whereas many of us were taught uh, along the lines with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that we want to look at people for the content of their character as, as a human being, not by the color of their skin, that the current critical race theory is teaching, no, we do look at the color of the skin. That the only way to address past wrongs is to look at the color of the skin, acknowledge that your identity group has been harmed in the past, whether or not you yourself have been harmed or not is immaterial as an individual, but your group has been harmed. Therefore, white people need to amend by addressing that historic wrong. And and so we need to intentionally discriminate. And so we choose the, the person of color over the white person, regardless of qualifications on paper, to address previous wrongs. And so I think that's what Kendi's getting at. The only way to address past discrimination is to discriminate and, and in, the in the present and in the future that we should intentionally discriminate. So I think what he's saying, the way to become an anti-racist is to become racist. <laughs> and, and I'm just trying to get my head around that one, okay? I'm not there yet, I'll, I'll confess. Uh, let me offer some, some pastoral reflection on this. Again, I'm not trying to be unfair in anything I am presenting. I, I am trying to say this is what the model, this critical race theory, explanatory model, this is what it's offering, okay? <clears throat> uh, the, 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 the idea first is that 
racial oppression is nothing new. That's why I read Psalm 48. When the kings join forces, when they advance together, people have come against uh, the Jews for a really long time. So there's nothing new in, in racial or ethnic or person on tribal conflict. We'll say it that way. Uh, scripture acknowledges um, significant differences amongst people. The Jew-Gentile division obviously is, is embedded, woven. You cannot understand the scripture apart from uh, that story of Abraham's family and all others. Um, it acknowledges people come from different geographical regions. And so much of the Old Testament, a prophecy against Edom, a prophecy against Tyre, a prophecy against Egypt. And so, so there's kind of a geographic uh, component to it. And the Great Commission uses the language, go to all the nations. The word nations there in the Greek is ethne, um, where we get our word ethnic from. And so that's an acknowledgement of the different peoples. Uh, in the book of Revelation, I'm going to read just a portion, Revelation chapter 5. This is the song to the, of praise to the Lamb of God. And they sang a new song. That These are the elders gathered there in the throne room. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, four different words. I looked them up in the Greek. Phules, gloses, leu, and ethnus. Phules is tribe. That's where we get our word phylum from. Kingdom, phylum, uh, class, species, okay? The taxonomy, right? So phylum, phules. Gloses uh, is tongue, language, okay? And so glossolalia, speaking in tongues, glosses. So phules, glosses, leo, laity, the people. And ethnus would be nations, okay? It's a, it's a Hebraic way, even though it's in the Greek language, it reflects a Hebraic understanding of piling up words to communicate the totality of the human family. But it's, it's tribe and language and people and nation. So Going back 2,000 years, there is a taxonomy already at work. Jew, Gentile, tribe, language, people, nation. It's a way of talking about the purpose of the gospel. Jesus comes for all people, regardless of uh, tribe, phylum, <laughs> language, glosses, uh, what people you're part of, laos, and what nation you are a part of, Jesus has come for you. <laughs> and so in Christ, there is no Jew, no Greek, no slave, nor free, no male, nor female. Christ breaks down these dividing walls of hostility. So why are we erecting them again? That's the concern. I understand outside the church that people are, a, a secular mindset is going to try to find explanatory models and toolkits to try to solve the problems of the world. But within the church, why would we ever do this? We have the solution. <laughs> uh, Genesis 11, the scattering of the nations at Babel. There was one people, one language, and then God scattered them because of the power of the, the sinful human family. And in Acts chapter 2, in the speaking of tongues, there was, that's like the reversing of, of Babel. Uh, 
these poor uh, fishermen and, and peasants that follow Jesus are speaking in the language of all these other people. But Genesis 3, the reality of sin, reminds us this is where tribalism comes from. This is where moral, ideological, racial tribalism comes from. It comes out of our sin. Um, and so again, I, I, I do not argue at all. I, I find no quarrel with historians and, the, and you know when the language of race began to show up. I would, I'm inclined to believe there was at least some intent for beneficial purpose. And I'm open to the possibility for malign purpose as well, because people are sinners. I don't have a problem with that. That would actually be consistent with my view of the human family, okay? Uh, but the question is, how do we prove this? And this becomes problematic. We're going to talk about this tomorrow. Um, how do we test statements and how do we, how do we develop evidence uh, to, to know? How can we know uh, certain things? Um, again, I, I've spoken how, how profoundly ironic it is to me, the, the calling out of this categorizing through race and yet what I see in the critical race theory movement, it is identity groups are the key, the matrix of oppression. You know, you're in various identity groups. And so instead of talking about our common humanity, we find ourselves split apart along, uh, you know, a dozen or more different axes uh, of polarities. Um, and, and so... I kind of just struggle with that, to be honest with you. And so as Christians, I think we need to live in some of this tension, but we need to affirm our biblical framework, our theological framework, our Christ-centered framework over and above the framework that critical race theory is bringing. Now, I, I think there's some benefit to this. Um, it may not be the benefit that the critical race theorists are offering, but I believe there is some benefit. Um, <clears throat> no account, no, no, I'm sorry, no amount of lecturing and legislating and training sessions and the like is going to do away with a universal phenomenon of sin. And people do this to one another. And, and as being part of the white community, white heterosexual male community, I need to acknowledge that, yeah, there might be benefits that accrue to me just by virtue of some of these realities, and to whom much is given, Jesus said, much is required. And so, yeah, let me use the resources and energy, time, skill I have to advance a more just society, which I think I'm trying to do right now by teaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. I realize I'm probably preaching to the choir, that is folks who, who are already embracing Jesus. Again, I'm trying to equip you to be able to be in conversations with others. And again, I'm not trying to be snarky. I, I may be coming across that way and I apologize. Um, I, what it seems to me, uh, I need to wrap up. What it seems to me is that the fruit of the biblical vision of a, a, a restored humanity that finds common connection in and through Jesus Christ, the, the, the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of the, the kingdom vision is what is being sought in society. Okay, I've got my thoughts around why that is. Um, 
I think everybody wants the 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 just society. But if you try for the fruit, but if you've cut yourself off from the root, if you reject the centrality of Jesus Christ, if you re- reject the scriptures which teach that we are all image bearers and we are all sinners, if you cut yourself off from the root, that fruit eventually will wither. And I believe this project is doomed to, to failure, to, to great failure. And I, I expect it's going to do great harm along the way. And so let me, let me close here. Uh, this has gone a little long. Thank you for your patience. If you've watched to the bitter end, um, we'll, we'll pick up again tomorrow, try to go a little bit further in understanding some of what CRT is teaching around knowledge and truth. But now let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope we have in Jesus uh, of a restored humanity, of a time when every tribe and language and people and nation are joined together in one kingdom, and we together are priests to serve you, our God. Help us as your people to live towards that vision in the midst of a competing vision of how to accomplish that through critical race theory and other models. Lord, help us to be wise, humble, gracious, compassionate, yet courageous and tenacious in our steadfast pursuit of your kingdom. Hear us as we pray now in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, may the God who made every tribe and language and people and nation, may that God bless you and keep you this day and forevermore. Amen.